Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, the weekly podcast brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Motos and Friends is brought to you by the new Shoeberth E2 helmet. The Shoeberth E2 is endless adventure. In the first segment this week, editor Don Williams brings you his impressions on the Kawasaki Ninja 650. The new middleweight Ninja is a nice machine with a peppy motor. It's super easy to handle. The new Ninja now comes with traction control as well as ABS, and that makes this bike even more suited to novice intermediate riders. In the second segment, Associate Editor TJ Adams chats with Michael Battaglia. Michael owned a Ducati dealership in Arizona for many years, until he sold it just before the pandemic hit. He now works for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation and, of course, the well-known Ride for Kids charity. Ride for Kids is the longest-running national motorcycle charity program and it's got loads of events across the country. So, from all of us here at Motos and Friends, we hope you enjoy this episode. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions to producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com. And if you like Motos and Friends, please hit the subscribe button. Schuberth Helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The new Schuberth E2 launches this month. It's like a C5 with a new peak visor, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake and a larger rear exhaust spoiler. It's got the same features of the C5, including a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, increased safety with new EPS material and anti-roll-off system, and it's pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. It's also got a locking mechanism to hold your chin bar open. Learn more about all the new features at shoeberth.com. The new Shoeberth E2. Endless adventure. This year, uh, you know, Kawasaki did a, a small update to the Ninja 650, which has been around for quite a while now. Uh, it's always been kind of funny to me that the, the, the Ninja 650 was named a Ninja because in my mind, the Ninja was like the true super sport bikes, like the ZX6R and the ZX10R. But in case somebody didn't know, the Ninja 650 is a bit of a super sport styled bike, which means it has a full fairing, but it's much closer to upright. The, although it has clip-ons, the clip-ons go up and uh, not down from the top of the triple clamp. So when you're riding it, you're not quite in a full upright position, but you're definitely more upright than you are on a super sport bike where you're laid out over the, you know, over the tank and your feet are up and back. The feet are much more forward, like again, and a much more traditional, just kind of uh, standard or sport bike kind of style. Now you are leaned forward a little bit, but, but again, not much. But what the good thing about that is, is it's, it's a great entry into the super sport world for somebody who might have started on a Grom or something like that, or even uh, a Ninja 400, which is the same sort of bike, which is a bit upright, but it has a full fairing. So uh, they've taken that bike and this year they gave it traction control, which doesn't seem like much in, in, in a way it's not that much, but I have a little story to tell about that. 
when I went to go pick up the bike, I uh, called the Kawasaki press guy and it was kind of raining and misty where I live. And I said, uh, the weather's not too good. I don't, I don't think I want to come down and ride the bike down. Uh, go, come and get the bike. I, I was on a Kawasaki KLX 230 SM. So that's their, their air-cooled two-valve 230cc supermoto bike. And I was going to have to ride it about 60 miles on the, uh, on the freeway to go pick up the Ninja 650. And even under the best conditions, the little 230 is kind of overmatched on the freeway. But he said, no, no, the weather here's fine. Don't worry about it. Come on down. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I rode down. <laughs> and of course, it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yes so so uh fortunately i was properly suited up in, in a revit outfit that i've been testing uh and i i got there and it's raining and he has kind of a sheepish look on his face when i arrived but anyway uh i swapped out the uh klx 230 sm super motorbike uh for the ninja 650 which is a pretty good trade uh, for sport bike riding of course and yeah. so, but the good part is, is that I got to test the traction control right away. So the traction control uh, is nothing, nothing sophisticated. You can turn it off and then there's two different levels and they don't have names for the levels. They just have one and two. So uh, two is more intrusive. So I, I pushed, you know, pushed it, the buttons and slipped on the relatively new TFT display. It's not a big display. It's kind of small, but it's a TFT. So it's nice and sharp. And it looks good, and it's it's you know well laid out. It's got a you know a tax you know kind of an interest kind of stylized tachometer. Uh, speed the speedo is really easy to read, and so anyway, I I slip it into traction control two, and start you know every time I would go away from a red light uh, on the way back to the freeway, I would you know get on the gas progressively harder and harder, and really uh, ultimately I was able to just ride it like I was riding like it wasn't raining, and that wasn't totally cats and dog rain but it was it was it was real rain and it was really wet and uh i was impressed by how the traction control worked it, not just that it kept me safe which it did i mean i didn't you know spin up the rear wheel or get sideways or fall uh but it gave me that confidence to accelerate pretty hard from red lights and uh and that's good and you know traction control just to remind somebody who's you know new to that those concepts for motorcycle isn't that isn't effective you know when you're braking or when you're going around a corner unless you're on the gas you know it only stops the rear wheel from spinning up so i've always traction control has always been a bit misleading because it only has to do with on throttle action and there's a lot of other act parts of traction on a motorcycle than that <laughs> so uh anyway it, it works and that's it and, and not only does it work but it works in a, a very invisible way i wasn't feeling like a ta -ta 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 -ta, you know kind of thing that it was killing the motor to keep the, the traction go it it does it what must be very incrementally so that you don't really feel you know it, it going in strong just like on abs if you have really good abs you don't really feel a lot of pulsing in the lever i mean we remember the old days when the first abs systems came out they were pretty clunky. It was like clunk, 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 you know, it would engage, right. just engage, disengage. And now the really good ones are pretty smooth. And uh, this traction control, being that that's a becoming a fairly uh, mature feature, they were able to institute it easily without you know have you know they were able to institute a, a 
well-tested concept and make it work right away. So uh, for Ninja 650 prospective owners, if they think they'll be riding in the rain, uh, you know, commuting sort of riding, uh, it works. And so that's that's kind of the best you can say about any feature is that it works and it doesn't make it it doesn't make a spectacle of itself. It just simply does what it's supposed to do. And uh, that's what I try to do at my job. Try to do what I'm supposed to do and not make a spectacle of myself. And <laughs> okay. I assume that it's not um, like a really sophisticated traction control. In other words, it's not IMU driven. And by that, I mean, an IMU detects obviously lean angle and among other things and so i assume that this is a relatively sim simple traction control that is probably just compares there's a wheel sensor on each wheel and it probably just compares wheel speeds and if it realizes that the rear is moving faster than the front wheel then obviously it knocks back the power a little bit exactly that's all it is there's no there's no cornering aware ab uh to, well there's no corner aware abs either and the bike does have abs uh, okay. At least the version we have. There is a, a an ABS version and a non-ABS version. And typically, when we get test bikes, they're you know the kind of the upgraded version. And uh, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't even thought about it at the time. But also when I was braking, you know, I didn't have any you know ABS surprises or uh, you know I didn't or I didn't lock it up. Uh, the wheels you know slowing down, and I I, I you know always try front rear front and rear brakes. Uh, and so the the electronic assistance on the Ninja 650 is not ex extensive. You know, there's no power modes or, you know, wheelie control or launch control or anything like that. But it does have kind of the two basics, which are traction control, stops the rear wheel from spinning up under acceleration and, uh, and ABS. Oh, and it also has a slipper clutch, which is also a traction control feature, but in the opposite direction. When you downshift, uh, if the rear wheel starts to lock up, it helps prevent it from locking up. So uh, that's that's and that feature also worked because I also was downshifting. I, it, in fact, the bike's so easy to handle. I was actually able a couple of times. You know, I, uh, the road I was on down in Orange County. There's some roads where they're they're very long in between signals, and you can see the signal far in advance. And you're and maybe there's not a lot of traffic where I was at. And I'll just roll off early, seeing the red come on. And I, I was almost able to come to a stop without even touching the brake, <laughs> but just through downshifting. And then I kind of put my feet out Fred Flintstone style for the last like three miles per hour. <laughs> so, wow. uh, so when I, but when I would do that, the, the you know, the, the uh, slipper clutch worked fine. So, you know, it, it allowed that little bit of slip of the rear wheel to stop it from skidding. And so that's another kind of a third step of traction control that the uh, the bike has. And and that's, I think we all, is something we like. And, and speaking of the, the uh, transmission, this is, this is a feature that uh, I like to give Kawasaki credit for that I wish every brand would license from them. And it's their positive neutral finder. Are you familiar with that, Arthur? Yes, I am familiar with the uh, neutral finder. It works really well. Essentially, you can you can come to a stop and if you find yourself at a stop and you're in first gear and you want to put it into neutral, you just click your foot up and no matter what you do, it will not go past neutral into second. It will find neutral from first gear. Works really well. It's awesome. And that's and that's why they call it the positive neutral finder. And it really does work. And we are very positive about it. 
Right. I, I keep trying to defeat it. Like I really hit it with my foot, you know, or I just kind of slightly click it. Or I think I got to be able to make it go into second somehow. And I, it just doesn't do it. There's, <laughs> right. there's some, there's some little guy in there that gets in the way and he stops it from going into second. He like throws his body down in the way and it, <laughs> and it works. It really does. And it's one of those things where if I was a, somebody who owned a Kawasaki and rode it all the time, it would drive me nuts when I got, it, it's kind of like, you know, when I got on another bike, because I would just come to a stop, click up and I'm like, second, what, wait a minute. And it's kind of like self-canceling turn signals. If you're used to them on a motorcycle, when you jump to a bike that doesn't have them, you're like, what? I forgot to shut it off. Oh, come on. What? You know, it's such a big, it's kind of such a basic concept that when you're in first, you're never right. going to want to shift up into second and, you know, at least not inadvertently. And so, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a great feature. I, I, I love it. And so this bike has it. And so it has, again, the Ninja 650 is not a super sophisticated sport bike. It's, it's one welcoming newer riders into the fold. And so it's, it has all the basics that you need, but none of the like super complex extraneous features that you don't need. Like most new riders, don't need wheelie control because they're just not going to be doing any wheelies. I mean, this isn't a motorcycle that, that wheelies unexpectedly or without your permission. You know, if you want a wheelie, you can, but you have to put in the effort to do so. You know, it's not going to just, it, it doesn't have that much power to do so, which kind of brings me to another aspect of the bike. Even though it's double red cam, four valves per cylinder, liquid cooled, fuel injected, has all the things you want. It's not a particularly powerful bike in its class. And I'm kind of surprised that Kawasaki, which is so performance oriented, hasn't addressed that over the over the years. Because if you remember, we've we tested it against the Suzuki SV650 and the Yamaha MT07, and both of those bikes were definitely faster it, 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 than the uh, Ninja 650. The Yamaha has the power had kind of the big power advantage. Part of it's because it has more displacement, but it just revved up more, went faster on the top end. And the Suzuki's V-Twin had a lot more torque than the Ninja 650. So you kind of, there was nowhere where the Ninja 650 felt like it had an advantage over either of those engines. And like I said, Kawasaki is a, a, a hot rod company. In my mind, they put out a supercharged upright naked bike, you know, that'll, right. that'll is insane. And then they let the, the they've kind of let this, the Ninja 650 kind of languish without having the same power that you know the other bikes in this class does and another bike it doesn't have so much uh powers that we could compare it to would be uh uh two bikes would be the aprilia 660 and the triumph uh trident 660 but now the aprilia is kind of in a different class it's more much more expensive but the triumph is right there in the same price range it's got a three three cylinder engine and just it'll wax the ninja 650 so now having said all that Part of that and, and people will go oh, you know but it makes the bike more approachable for a newer rider you know you, you don't want to put a newer rider on a a Prilia Tuono you know 660 it's just not a great idea so the Ninja 650 just kind of works and also it has that appeal for the people who like the super sport bikes the full fairing look you know they look like they're racer although that that whole concept of sort of kind of petered out over the years i think that people have begun to appreciate on the street the value of an upright sport bike and that they don't need to have that fairing to look cool you know just the fact that you're going fast looks cool 
And so uh, the Ninja 650 net is kind of slotted itself kind of over the period of adjustment or you know the period of, of the evolution of the class as kind of the slower but but very new rider friendly bike. And you can kind of compare that to the Suzuki RMZ 450 motocrosser. It's super easy to ride and it's not as fast as any of the other brands. But if you're a new a new motocross rider or something not really new rider because you're not gonna race if you're not if you're new, but if you're a beginning class motocross rider, the Suzuki RMZ 450 is actually probably your best bike, even though it's the it always comes in last in all the shootouts. It's it's a very user beginner friendly bike. And the Ninja 650 fits into that same category in that the power super smooth, super predictable, doesn't surprise you, but it's not like it's slow. I mean, if you want to rev it and go, you know, you're going to, you have no problems. Uh, you know, I, in fact, I was out doing some testing on a uh, closed course, let's just say, <laughs> and I got it up to 118, you know, right. and wow. that was, and, and it, it, the bike was completely stable, you know, no problems. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, there was, it, it, there's a lot of bikes where you start to get up to the, until it's hit the rev limiter, which is when I, you know, that was kind of where it topped out, that the bike starts to get a little sketchy and you kind of don't want to go there. In this case, the bike's fine, even at, at its top speed. So in part of that ride on that part of, when I wasn't on the closed course ride, I was on the normal road. I, it was just, it was just a fun bike to ride. Uh, went on a, a normal test loop that we have, it's about a hundred miles. It has freeway, it has a lot of twisties. It has some fast parts across the desert. Uh, we went up in the mountains and went and saw the poppies that are growing. The California poppies are popping out this time of the year. And it's it's not one of the greatest years of all time, but it's a, it's a pretty good year. And uh, anyway, riding around, the bike is so easy to ride. You kind of, as an as a experienced rider, you just kind of take it for granted that whatever you want to do on it, when you're just riding with your friends, you're just looking at stuff, you're doing stuff, kind of like almost like sport touring, it just reacts exactly as you expect. It's not overly aggressive in in, in its uh, response, like a Yamaha MT-07 is, is a fairly responsive bike. And so you have to pay a bit more attention when you're going in the twisties and, and you're doing whatever you're doing. And a, a Suzuki SV650 is a much more stable bike so you have to kind of put a little bit more muscle when you want to make changes. So there's a kind of that neutrality of the Ninja 650, which makes it, again, very appealing and very easy to understand for a new a newer rider in the class. Like they go, oh, I get how this works. Oh, this is good. And, you know, it doesn't have things like uh, adjustable suspension. So you don't have to, you know, so that can just get a lot of people into trouble that don't know what they're doing. You know, if, if you're an experienced rider, you can use the clickers to set the ride, the ride and the reaction of the suspension up exactly how you want it. But if you're a new rider, you're probably, if you are set loose on adjustments, not going to do better than the factory guy did at Kawasaki and all their, their experienced test riders. They, they, they do the, that really excellent job of, of setting that bike up for the type of person who would ride it and the amount of power and performance that you would expect from this kind of bike. You know, there's always going to be somebody who's like a, a super fast rider. He's going to get on an industry. He goes, oh, the suspension's no good. Suspension's fine. 
suspension does what it's supposed to do for who it's supposed to do it for. And, and, and somebody who wants to ride it outside of its range of, of performance is going to be disappointed. He should have bought uh, a ZX6R if that's what he was looking for, you know. So it, just as with any motorcycle, it, it's about finding who you're trying to appeal to and then setting the bike up in such a way that person will be totally satisfied with the ride. And the Ninja 650 really takes that on in a, a bunch of different ways. Again, it has the full, the full fairing. So it has the super sport look and looks matter. I mean, people want to ride around. They want to be proud of what they're on. They want to feel cool. They want people to look at it and go, oh, wow, that guy's got a fast bike. Look how cool he is. Man, I wish I was as cool as that instead of driving around in my Yugo. And so, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so that's part of it. But then it's upright, so you can use that bike completely as a as a an urban commuter bike. You you can ride all day. You're not going to get com uncomfortable. Your back isn't going to give out. You're not going to have sore wrists. You're not going to have a sore neck from looking up. You're just riding around on a bike that makes total sense as far as ergonomics. So you can go on a long ride out in the boonies. You can go ride around town. You if you go to school, you can go you do whatever you need to do and so the bike is super practical from that aspect but also it gives a rider kind of this entry into the sport world whereas they can go out into the twisties the canyons and they can say oh well this bike you know it has this nice neutral handling it kind of does exactly what i expect it to do and when it hits the bump it might bump you a little bit it doesn't bottom out or do any kind of weird stuff or but it's not too stiff that you're you're shaking all the time it's just it, it's it's a real world sport bike that realizes that when you go out in the world, there's bumpy roads and, and it it reacts to them. Again, it's not just the most sophisticated action. It's not some kind of plus brilliant Olin's type of thing, but you're not paying for that. You know, the bike, I don't have the price in front of me right now, but the bike doesn't cost so much that you can expect super high performance. You want to have performance that is approachable, usable, and friendly. And that's really what the Ninja 650 is about. And so, you know, every time we get one, which is every year to two, we end up getting one for a test because we like to keep track of, you know, we don't just take a bike and say, well, we've tested it five years ago. It's like, you kind of, your perspectives of bikes change, even if the bike doesn't change because of other advances in other bikes. And you go, oh yeah, how is this bike? The bike that you thought was pretty good five years ago might not seem that good now, even though that bike hasn't changed. Now, in the fact, in the case of the Ninja, Kawasaki has done a bunch of little incremental upgrades over the years. Again, they're, they're not giant things where they totally redesign the frame or put on new suspension or slot a new engine in there, but they will do little tweaks to the motor, tweaks to this, tweaks to that. And in this case, they've added the traction control. That's kind of the little tweak this year. So the Ninja 650 is co constantly evolving at a slow rate, but you wouldn't really want to revolutionize the bike or you would lose the, what it's all about. You don't want to lose that ease of use and friendliness of use that makes the bike what it is. And so I think for a lot of riders, you know, I mean, if I'm telling somebody who's truly a new rider that they want a sport bike, I would put them more in the directions of the, the 400, 300 class bikes. And, and a lot of people will say, oh, you can't do that. You know, you, you got to have at least a 650 to be satisfied. And I understand that thinking, but I, as, as somebody who makes suggestions for people, I, I'm always going to 
err on the side of safety because people who are newer riders make mistakes. They always make mistakes. Experienced riders make mistakes and they sometimes pay big for them. A newer rider will make a mistake and you want a bike that will not penalize you a lot. And the, the 300, 400 class is, is the best at doing that. But if somebody's coming from a little bit more experience than that, they had a little bit of time on a motorcycle, maybe they rode dirt bikes or high performance dirt bikes, they can come into a 650 class and, and they can and they may not be ready for a super sport bike, but this is this is the kind of motorcycle that they could get that they could also use if they had other uses for it other than just as a sport bike. You know, this isn't a bike you go, well, I'm gonna be a sport bike guy. Oh, I gotta get the ninja 650. It's like, well. I want to be a sport bike guy, but I got to get to work and I like to ride with my, just cruise around with my friends through town, at, you know, on Saturday night. And uh, I like to go for a long ride on a, on a weekend with my friends that have sport touring bikes. And I was with, uh, with uh, associate editor, Jonathan Handler, and he was on his BMW uh, R1250RS. And, uh, you know, that's a big bike, but I, on the in the in the tighter stuff, I was able to hang with him. On the faster stuff, well, the bike goes 118 miles an hour. Now, how much faster do you need to go on the street? Now, don't even a- answer that question, Arthur, because I know what your answer is. But for most people, 118 on the street is adequate. I think. Not that I would ever go that fast because I was on a close course, but yeah. Right. So, so there's the ninja 650 you know you hate to you, like kawasaki's probably gnashing their teeth going oh you know saying that the bike is a practical motorcycle but you know because you want it to be an exciting motorcycle when people go, oh yeah but the ninja 650 is a practical motorcycle and i don't mean that i mean that in the best possible way that i'm trying to that make it like sound like it's boring because you can ride it hard you know, if you keep the revs up, although the rev limiter does come in a little bit earlier than I expect sometimes when I'm riding it hard, you can ride it hard, you can ride it at a good pace. And it used to be a bike that people turned into track bikes, but it's, it's time for that sort of purpose has, has kind of passed until if less Kawasaki wants to up, upgrade it. And, you know, there's other bikes now that kind of fit into that category better. So uh, Anyway, that's kind of what the Ninja 650 is all about. It's a, it's a bike that's been around for a long time. It's been popular for a long time and it's evolved for a long time. And the newest version is certainly the best Ninja 650 yet. Okay. All right. Sounds good to me. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and insight as always. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> bye. All right. Thanks, Don. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Schuberth Helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The new Schuberth E2 launches this month. It's like a C5 with a new peak visor, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake, and a larger rear exhaust spoiler. It's got the same features of the C5, including a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, Increased safety with new EPS material and anti-roll-off system. And it's pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. It's also got a locking mechanism to hold your chin bar open. Learn more about all the new features at shoeberth.com. The new Shoeberth E2. Endless adventure. In the second segment, Associate Editor T.J. Adams chats with Michael Battaglia. 
Michael owned a Ducati dealership in Arizona for many years until he sold it just before the pandemic hit. He now works for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation and, of course, the well-known Ride for Kids charity. Ride for Kids is the longest-running national motorcycle charity program and it's got loads of events across the country. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions to producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com. And if you like motos and friends, please hit the subscribe button. Let's start with, first of all, what you ride at the moment. Well, currently, I don't ride any motorcycle unless it is borrowed. <laughs> so, yeah, when we hit the road, because of our current setup, I didn't have room for a motorcycle. So I'm kind of motorcycle list. However, I will be heading out to Southern California to do the Why We Ride to the Quail Ride. And Honda is loaning me a brand new what do they call it there? Rebel 1100? Nice. Touring model? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be interested to see what you think of that. I've ridden the 300 and the 500, and I think they're terrific motorcycles. Oh, I, I can't wait to try this one out. You know, I really like what they're doing with that Rebel line. One of our giveaways for this past, for 2022 Ride for Kids, we gave away four Honda motorcycles. One of them was a Rebel 500. And I was like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> Even though I'm more of a, a, you know, sport bike, standard, adventure kind of motorcycle rider, I still enjoy cruisers. Yes, well, my experience is the same, funnily enough. I'm more sport, but I did really enjoy both those motorcycles. I rode them in the right order. I rode the 300 first of all. I was really impressed with that. Yeah. And then the 500 was a perfect top-up, really. Once you've got a bit of confidence, you can move up. I think it's it's a great range. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I mean, I, you know, I've been in the industry for a while, but I'm, I'm excited to see that the OEMs are really moving towards that lower displacement motorcycle. It's always been that feeling you're in America and it's like thousands of miles big. So we always needed big motorcycles. <laughs> yes. And there are plenty of those. I mean, for example, they've now got the 1100 in the Rebel range, but... I rode a KTM 200 and they've been around in other countries for some years, um, the Duke 200. And, you know, that's great also for people who are who like that style of bike and are quite new to riding. Yeah, I love them. You know, I got to ride the R3 around the track and I thought it was, at first, I, I'm not a big guy, but I felt big on it. I'm like, God, I just feel so big. <laughs> then once I kind of got situated, it was a hoot to ride. <laughs> So have you done a few track days or track riding, should I say? Track riding, yes. I started years ago, geez, mid-2000s, I guess. And I, I was working at a Ducati dealership and this club racer moved into the area, he's a military guy, and he came in and we just hit it off. We got to talk and he's like, hey, have you ever done a track day? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I had my Ducati Multistrada. I was all, you know, I thought I was all cool. And uh, so he kind of told me what it's about. And I'm like, yeah, let's set one up. Because I started the Ducati Club in that area. And we got a bunch of people together and went out. And I rode around on my Multistrada not knowing anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he set up the suspension a little bit. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's way better. <laughs> so I didn't even know what I was getting into, but I was hooked ever since. 
it makes a big difference, doesn't it? I've I've only been on the track once and it's a fantastic experience. Yeah. I saw your article with the champ school. Yes, Yamaha Champions Riding School. It was, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I mean, obviously I was in the best hands. So uh, when you say, you know, you don't know what you don't know, really. When you say you know, somebody set up your suspension, I fully understand what you mean. But you can't learn everything all at once. And so the whole of your motorcycling career sort of is picking up new things away. Yeah, I've known those guys. I've known Chris Paris for years because my shop was in Southern Arizona. And I started helping those guys out in 2019 you know, helping them with operations of schools. I That's where I took the school in Southern Arizona and was on the R3. And of course, I thought I was, I'd done track days. I'm, I'm this hotshot guy. And what do I do? Like second lap, I lay it down, low side it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to like look cool and be impressive for these guys. And I just- But it shows you were trying. <laughs> yeah, I write it back and, you know, Keith looks at me and he's just like shaking his head. <laughs> But it turned out to be a great two days. So I was I was still excited. <laughs> <laughs> I should imagine that he was excited because the instructors really get so much out of giving people that, that achievement, that learning and that, those uh, skills. Oh, it's amazing. It, and it doesn't matter what, you know, what aspect of the school you're helping out with. You know, I've even been the guy that checks the tire pressures, make sure mirrors are tight. Um, however, I can be a part of it and to help out. You, you get that experience no matter what you're doing, because to see the level of improvement from like day one to day two is amazing. It is. Yeah, I've been telling everybody they just have to do that. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> riding school. <laughs> I feel like I've got some sort of new religion. <laughs> oh, it's you're going to be hooked. And it doesn't matter what motorcycle you bring with you. You're going to have fun on it. Of course, my my upper back and wrists can't really handle the sport bikes anymore for any duration. So I do like the more, you know, standard, you know, MT09 Yamahas or, you know, the Honda CB series. Yeah, there's a variety of bikes that are very comfortable. And I'm like the Energizer Bunny when I'm on the track. So if it's a half hour session, I'm there from the moment they give the white flag to the moment they give the checkered flag and... I'm usually like the last one left and everyone's pulled in and I'm just like, man, what are you guys breathing heavy for? I'm ready to go more. Like I could literally stay out there for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Maximizing your track time. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So you mentioned a shop. You were a dealer yourself, were you? Yeah, I had started a little shop back in 2008. So best time to start a business. Great recession. But we started out small and it was awesome. You know, there was a niche that I think, you know, needed to be filled and jumped on it and it you know worked out and we were really about building community you know we wanted that you know that hangout so we we kind of created that culture that vibe it was it was awesome and eventually that grew into a dealership so the gentleman in town that I had first started working for that Ducati dealership finally decided to retire so I approached him and he was kind enough to you know, let me bring a partner in and take over the Italian brands in Southern Arizona. It's interesting the way doors open up, isn't it? The way things do come about. You know, when when kids are at school these days and all trying to think about what they're going to do when they grow up and get into the big wide world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I really think you need to play a lot by ear <laughs> because then you find out what you like and what you don't like. A- absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the degree I graduated college with, I don't use 
anymore. I'm still so, you know, attracted to that. It was, uh, you know, I was in sports medicine and athletic training. So I took care of sports injuries and I love working with athletes, especially high school collegiate. Uh, they're the, they're the best, but that interest and passion is still there for me. And, and, you know, as you talk about looking back over the past, I'll, I'll say it five decades, <laughs> the first 10 years, you don't know anything because you're just a kid, but I kind of knew I was always into that kind of healing and, you know, taking care of people. You know, my mom always made fun of me that I was the the kid that would find the stray cat and bring it home. <laughs> yeah. As you said, it's, you know, it's good to test waters. I mean, you know, I'm all for someone coming out of high school wants to go travel the world, experience life, work a few jobs to really find out what they want to do. Most parents listening probably would be aghast at us just saying, you know, kind of wing it. <laughs> but I think you need to put your feelers out. I think um... I'm not going to say it matches up 100%, but yeah, there's definite tie in or connection with why we ride motorcycles to how we view some life aspects. That's right, because it's a certain type of people. And that's and people who are listening to us today are motorcycle people. And I think that's that's quite true. You do have a certain uh, personality. I'm not going to say flaw, <laughs> aptitude. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be a flaw. I didn't start actually riding till later on in life. I was in my early 30s. I mean, I was always that kid. So in my neighborhood, I could ride my bicycle. There was this tiny little, you know, corner shop that sold Yamaha dirt bikes, and I'd ride down there on my bike, and I'd be the kid looking through the window, grabbing brochures. Not many people know what those are anymore. <laughs> no. And I've always been attracted to motorcycles. But mom and dad weren't as excited. So it was always play sports, ball sports. I've been involved in sports. But for whatever reason, it just kind of left me. And in my early 30s, you know, there are a lot of popular TV shows about custom bike building. And I'm like, wow, I want to do that. And I started doing some research, found out that where I was currently living in uh, Vail, Colorado. And I was like, oh, I could go take this motorcycle safety course and get a license. And that's what I did. <laughs> and then from that moment on, it took me a year to get my first motorcycle. But I bought my helmet. I bought my jacket. I bought, you know, all the gear I needed. So you were listening to your parents. You got all the safety gear, which is ideal. Yeah, they taught me well. And and I tend to be that researcher type. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. <laughs> and of course, my wife and I were just, we had just decided we were going to get married at the time. And she's like, where did this come from? And I tell her the story. She's like, man, if I had known that, I don't know if I would have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I just ended up, there was a long, long period of my life. I didn't own a car. It was just a motorcycle. And you mentioned adventure. Are you sort of uh, off adventure riding? Well, I say that now. So I, I began as a street rider. And, and, you know, we talk about riding styles. I was always, like, I always had it in my head. I was that cruiser guy. I was going to have a Harley Davidson. Everyone knew Harley Davidson. Until I started, you know, researching. Uh, I'm from Italian heritage, second generation Italian American. I'm like, aha, I need an Italian bike. That's what I need. But I couldn't find any, you know, Italian cruisers. I mean, Moto Guzzi is out there. But I was like, ooh, Ducati. What's this Ducati thing? 
And, uh, but I was smart. I waited. My first bike was a Suzuki GS 500, 1989. And loved that thing. Rode that thing till it basically was falling apart because it was almost there anyway. <laughs> and then I bought a Ducati Multistrada. But, but that's what I always talk to new riders or even experienced riders. That big age old question, how do you, you know, what bike do you know to start on? And, and I'm just like, just get on a bike. Doesn't matter what it is, because you'll find it. Because within that year, I found out, wow, I enjoy going a little faster. I enjoy leaning over a little bit more. I enjoy just going for a ride. Didn't matter where, just going back to that same conversation, figuring out what it is you really are attracted to, like, and begin experimenting. Yes, just try everything, any opportunity that comes in front of you, any different bike, give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll eventually find it. And then as I continued gaining more riding experience, especially since, you know, when I opened my shop, I got into everything. So I started riding dirt bikes, and which I love because I put the street bike aside because business, I needed a different mode of transportation because I couldn't do everything on a motorcycle. But man, dirt biking was, that hooked me hard. And then when I finally got back on a street bike, I'm like, wow, I'm riding better than I ever rode before. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes you more intuitive. I've just experienced a tiny bit of dirt. Yeah. And, you know, the little things that catch you out, obviously you're in the position to deal with them because you're on that type of bike. Whereas if you, you get a wheel spin or you fall off, you can you learn a lot. Yeah, you learn not to panic. Yes. Yeah, you learn that. Wow, the motorcycle really wants to stay upright. Yes, you have more faith in, <laughs> in your bike. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and, and try not to get in its way that much. <laughs> <laughs> it knows better than, than we do. <laughs> exactly. It was funny because I had taken a stunt driving course in Southern California years ago. And the, the teacher, can't remember his name, but he was one of the instructors on how to teach police to you know, the tip the rear end of the car and send it into a tailspin. But he also knew how to get out of it. And it was so interesting because he would chase us down in, in, the, in the cars and he would perform that maneuver on us. And we were instructed to let go of the steering wheel and just keep your hands near it. So he sends us into this side-by-side -side tailspin, let go of the steering wheel, car straightened right out. And I'm like, ooh, interesting. And I've kind of kept that concept uh, when I started riding motorcycles, especially dirt bikes. You know, when that tail end starts kicking out on you, just, you know, don't try to counter steer it. Just kind of go with it. And more often than not, you come out of it. But there are those times you don't. <laughs> that was my big take, actually, from doing school was, as you've said, not to panic, but to do things more slowly, to not snatch and grab and be abrupt with everything really yeah get rid of those terms grabbing and stabbing and hitting yes natural reactions but you have to make yourself overcome that and just uh calm your farm yeah no abrupt movements <laughs> as, as we say <laughs> smooth over abrupt yes <laughs> definitely it's a learned sort of behavior but uh makes a big difference it is it is in life in general, actually, it's been really useful. It's been a month now. I've been really calm and doing things in a, in a considered manner. <laughs> well, you know, what else calms you down is, one, driving a Ford cargo van. 
around as your main mode of transportation. You learn to go slower. You learn to not care about where you park and walk into the stores. <laughs> it does it does change your mindset. And then especially when you hook a 36-foot trailer to a pickup truck, then then you really just have no problem going 65 miles per hour. <laughs> That's mainly because of the price of fuel. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> But I think that's why I like the track days and, and track riding because you don't, you, you're in that controlled environment. There are no speed limits. You're, you're just there to challenge yourself. That's right. You can uh, focus because you haven't got all those traffic type distractions around. Yeah. And I always tended to be that type of person that would, you know, I said earlier, you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. But I always take it to another level and, and I always say, but be great at it. So I could spend, and I think that's where me going around a track in hours, I don't get tired is because I'm constantly challenging myself every lap. And to me, it's not repetitive at all. <laughs> no, every time there's something something different that you add to your repertoire every time. And that's I think that's your, the repetition is a good thing. Where did you go with the stunt driving? You did that? Oh, nowhere. It was just uh, it was just something I wanted to do. I thought I was going to maybe try and get into like if you progressed within the school because he did a lot of movie stunt work him and his students so i was in southern california and i thought wow that'd be a fun thing to do because i've always been into like i use that word adventure i've always been that adventurous person i've always been that risk taker i'll try anything and i was going to give it a go but it was just whatever was going on at that time in my life whether it was i was not making enough money, couldn't afford the school to continue. But yeah, I, I was, that was kind of the intention, but I did it more just to learn how to control the car better. Excellent. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> so uh, you went from um, the dealership to um, the company you're with now. I've just met you through um, Ride for Kids. Yes. So how long have you been with Ride for Kids? Yeah, so I'll, uh, let me just make one clarification. The The foundation is actually called Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. So that's who I work for. Uh, they're, uh, yeah, they're a nationally recognized charity. One of our fundraising programs is called Ride for Kids. Yeah, so I got involved with them one year and one month ago. I exited my dealership in 2019, right before COVID and pandemic hit. and you know, once COVID hit, everything kind of just shut down, even with me looking at what I was going to do. But coming out of COVID, you know, my wife and I decided to sell the house and get the truck and the trailer and start doing some adventure, venturing. <laughs> but I always knew I wanted to, still needed to work. And I've always been, I've always kind of stayed on this job board for the industry because I was always looking for people. And this, opportunity popped up and said, looking for a fundraising manager for Ride for Kids. And I had known what Ride for Kids was just, you know, being, you know, with my shop. And I applied and, you know, it kind of got me back in the industry, which I love being a part of this industry. And that other side of me that I went to college for, that my mom said I was always that person bringing home that stray cat. The carer. Yeah. So it kind of gave me that opportunity to blend these passions of mine, which were, you know, service to others and motorcycling. And I'm like, wow, this is perfect. And, you know, last year was a big learning year, you know, about 
Ride for Kids, How We Exist in the Industry, about the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation mission, what we do, why we do it. And now, you know, one year later, you know, my responsibilities are how do we grow this fundraising program within this great community that we exist in, which is motorcycling. I love that connection piece. You know, I've always been that, you know, connector as well. So when I had my shop, I was friends with all the dealers and principals in our area. You know, we set up exchange programs to help each other out with like inventory. So I've always been able to kind of bridge that gap. And now I get to do it on a larger scale, you know, bridging that gap with motorcyclists, dealerships, OEMs, and how do we kind of get everyone connected all for uh, the cause of, you know, raising money and critical funds for children with brain cancer. And had you had any experience of cancer prior to that or in particular childhood cancers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So when I had my shop, forget what year, it was probably late 2000s. My cousin's son was diagnosed with leukemia. And I had done other uh, local fundraisers uh, through the shop for, you know, local rider base, you know, family in need or or whatever. But this one struck a very chord with me because, oh, now it's even more personal because this is family. So that's what you know, started me fundraising. And and as you're aware, motorcyclists, you know, there's this weird camaraderie, give the high sign and you're passing someone, you know, it, it's a really well-knit, you know, brotherhood, I guess, for lack of a better term. So when I decided to put this fundraiser on to help my cousin, because she had to, she was a teacher, she had to quit work. She was a single mom at the time. She had to put all her efforts into caring for her son. So, you know, she was able to qualify for some state help, but I'm like, we could do more. So I raised or set up a fundraiser. We raised about $3,500. And the people that came out that I hadn't even met yet, part of the riding community, just handed $100 bills over. And I'm like, wow, that spoke to me big time. And I think that's what's carried over to what I do now, for sure. Yeah, that's some experience. Yeah. And, you know, the, the families that we help, in fact, so the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation mission is to support families and fund research, all to support families and children while they go through brain cancer and to fund research to find a cure. Because our, our ultimate goal is to end childhood brain cancer. <laughs> Interesting. I thought it was purely for research into pediatric brain cancer. I didn't realize that you support your families. A lot of people don't realize things like, as you just said, you you know, as a parent having to quit work, it throws mm-hmm. the whole normal life upside down. Yeah. You have to be on call. You have to make appointments. You have to care throughout the night. Yeah. It's a sad but real story that is pretty common. One day your your child could be playing Little League, baseball or softball. And the next day they're like, hey mom, dad, I don't feel good. And it literally changes that quickly. And their lives are turned upside down. So, And it's expensive. Being sick is very expensive for those reasons. It's loss of normality and regular income and the things you're usually doing. It's kind of piles on top of the actual expense of uh, treatment 
it's getting places, it's having vehicles, it's, it's all sorts of things. And those are the exact things that we help support families with. So with the money we raise, you know, 80% of it goes to funding research. The other 20% is family support. And the children are under 19 years. This is the sort of age group we're talking about. Yeah, they're teens, um, young teens and children, you know, as early as three years old. When you when you say children, that's the sort of age group I was thinking. But, you know, we have to consider that these bigger people, you know, from 10 years up to 19, these are people who are very much involved in, in everybody's lives. Yeah. They're not sort of just in that nuclear family cell. Yep. Yep. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, all brain tumors are bad. But as you age and get into those, you know, later years, later teen years, the different types of cancer and brain tumors that can come about are less in number than they are when you're younger. But either way, we even help survivors of brain tumors and brain cancer because once you have or diagnosed with this deadly disease, when you survive it, it doesn't mean, ooh, clear, life goes on. There's constant challenges that these children will continue to face as they get into adulthood. So we absolutely look to support, you know, care for those kids and their families while they're going through their, you know, journey, fund the research to find a cure. And then we also support survivors to help them thrive within their, you know, communities. That's really important stuff that you're doing. So Ride for Kids, I've read, is the longest running national motorcycle charity program. Yes. And that's across the whole country, across the whole of the USA. Yes, we are. The Ride for Kids is the longest and most successful fundraiser within the motorcycle industry community in the country. And it started in 1984. Uh, Mike and Diane Trainer, I believe it was their neighbor's daughter, died of a brain tumor. And they decided to do something. So they organized a ride to raise some money and awareness. And that continued annually. And in 1991, Ride for Kids officially became Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. And that's when Honda came on board as our top, you know, supporter and sponsor. And they've been with us just over 30 years. And we're grateful to have Honda be part of us and support us in, in the ways they do. So every year, we continue, you know, raising money through different types of, you know, local events. Uh, we call them, you know, traditional events, which are your parade style rides where riders come together. They do what we call peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. So they join the ride. They also, you know, have a fundraising page that they can ask family friends to support them and what they're doing. Right. So people listening are likely to be out riding, usually at the weekends, admittedly, but, you know, they obviously have a love of motorcycles and are out riding. So how do they go about if they want to incorporate uh, raisins and funds for the uh, research and for the support of these families and children with paediatric brain tumours? What's the move to actually do something yourself with your motorcycle <laughs> to raise some <laughs> funds? I mean, I don't want people to think they have to go out and raise thousands and thousands you obviously earn a goodly amount there with your first attempt but you're talking about asking a few friends by the sounds of it so how do you go about that so our traditional ride model has been you had to find this local or this ride in your local area 
But nowadays, you know, what we've moved into is adding different ways to ride your motorcycle and raise these critical funds. So aside from your local ride, we still have traditional rides in 12 major areas and regions, but we've instituted two new programs, what we're calling Ride Your Way. So if you and a friend or just by yourself, group of friends wanted to get together and say, we want to raise money for kids, you can then come to our rideforkids.org website. You can select Ride Your Way, register, get a fundraising page set up and start riding. So you get to choose when you ride, who you ride with and where you're going to ride. Because the important part is not encouraging people to ride their motorcycles because we because we want to do that. That's what we love to do. But you can also fundraise while you're riding your motorcycle. And that's that's the beauty of it. And you get to share this link on your social media pages with family and friends and have everyone just come to this page, click a donate button, and you'll see you get to track what you're doing. We have thousands of listeners. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody just, just did one ride? <laughs> yeah, and every dollar counts. Is every dollar just a dollar, or do you have backers who will sort of increase that donation or anything that uh, adds to that? Yeah, there's, there's many ways you can do that. So um, riders can reach out to local businesses and ask for support. Uh, what people don't realize, a lot of the companies they work for have a company match program. So if you go to your, probably your HR department is where I would start and say, hey, I'm going to ride my motorcycle for Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation, setting a goal of raising $500. And a lot of times that company will match what you do. So you're essentially doubling your fundraising just by doing that. And we have a really cool tool on our website that you can just start typing in your company name and, you know, more often than not, it'll find that, hey, they're part of a company match program. Wow, that's fantastic. Yes. Um, I recall from being um, employed myself <laughs> once. No, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> Companies do like to uh, also donate because uh, it's good for their image on top of that. They, you know, they get tax relief for that sort of thing. I think it's definitely on the agenda for most companies. Yeah, absolutely. This day and age, I also see that, you know, more and more corporations and companies like to share their social responsibility. They like to put that out there to show that they're doing good. And that tends to attract, you know, more consumers, more customers. And I think more fundraisers in the end, because that's what we're really looking for. Interesting. And so just, just to give um, a brief idea you would go onto the website and does it cost you to register to do um, a fundraising event or a fundraising ride yeah so our current setup is it's a 40 dollars registration fee but what that is really giving you is the fundraising page so we handle all of that background for you um, all you have to do is click a couple of links and your fundraising page is set up we handle all the payment processing, you know, all of that's done, you know, by Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. The other thing that we offer is as a thank you for joining us in this, you know, in this fight is we're going to provide you every year we produce a annual Ride for Kids t-shirt, a ride pin. So you're going to get some other, you know, thank you incentives. And based on 
you know, certain fundraising amount that you hit, we will also have incentive items. So if you raise a thousand dollars, you'll get a choice of an additional incentive item. So we'll have different levels for that as well. And you're also entered to win a Honda motorcycle <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's just our way of saying thank you for joining us. There is a cost to everything, but that $40 doesn't just go to cover that. It still goes to mission. So, so we don't want people to think that, oh, I'm paying $40. I'm getting a t-shirt. No, you're still supporting. You're straight away. You're, you're helping and supporting. So you give away a motorcycle every year. Yes, Honda is generous enough. And every year it's a little bit different. Uh, we, we try different things. Um, one year it was, you know, the Mac Daddy Goldwing. Last year we decided to, instead of one winner, we offered four different motorcycles. So working with Honda, we were able to, to get four different motorcycles, a dual sport bike, a street bike, a standard bike, and a sport bike. And we had first time riders and fundraisers for us win a bike to a long time multi-thousand dollar fundraiser. So it's great that anyone can win this motorcycle. Everybody has the chance. Everybody listening has the chance. Yeah. Free motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. And, and, you know, the incentives and all of that are fun. That's, that's kind of the fun part of joining us, but we always like to, you know, keep the, the mission forefront and the fundraising being why, you know, we ride for these kids. You know, that's the ultimate, you know, reason we do this. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you're inspired. Obviously, one is inspired by all, all the things you're saying, the fun, the joining in. But at the end of the day, you really are going to make a difference. Yeah. You're literally changing a child's life, you know, that's faced with brain cancer. In our research funding, we recently received a, a report that for every dollar we seed for research, attracts another $12. So that's exciting news. So that's why I say every dollar counts that you raise, you know, for Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. You know, that that's the exciting, that's the geeky, exciting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's your next um, big event coming up? Yeah, so I've got a few. Before I mention that, I just want to touch on other ways that riders can get involved. Along with Ride Your Way, there's also an outreach that we're calling Ride for Kids Community, where we're inviting dealerships and the dealership network who already host bike nights, you know, events at their store, rides, riding groups to kind of join us in this effort as well, because we've created this turnkey solution that if they're interested in adding a fundraising component to their event, with Ride for Kids being the leading, you know, charity in the space, that we've created this product for them that they can just turnkey, real simple, no impact to their business. Because trust me, I know what it's like to be a dealer, and everyone's stressed thin, and <laughs> so that's just another way we're we're reaching out to the riding community and you know the the industry as a whole. But more specifically, to answer your question, so some cool events coming up is. The Why We Ride for Kids fundraising dinner at the Quail. That's an evolution from Why We Ride to the Quail. So Why We Ride is a documentary movie that was created and produced by Brian Carroll and James Walker. And 
from that movie, the, the, the success of it, they decided, hey, we want to get together and put on this VIP ride experience, start in Southern California, end in Northern California. And part of that experience is attending the Quail Motorcycle Gathering, which is a vintage motorcycle show at the Quail uh, Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel, California. And I was fortunate enough to attend last year. So I got to ride actually a BMW R18, got to use my champion's habits going through, you know, up the Pacific Coast Highway. Had a blast. It's a two-day VIP ride experience. Beautiful road. And is this uh, all vintage motorcycles? Uh, no, no. This is anyone, you know, can join us and, and ride on the ride. So they've been doing that for six years, pre-COVID, coming out of COVID. They got back started last year. And then this year, we decided to really elevate the event. So why we ride to the quail still exists as its own VIP ride experience. But the culmination is the quail motorcycle gathering and this, you know, co-branded why we ride for kids fundraising dinner that takes place after the quail motorcycle gathering. So it's a dinner experience, a face style dinner, you know, special guests at the event. So yeah, we're really trying to make this a, a full fundraising experience. So that takes place on uh, May 6th. And this is open to anybody? Yes, it is open to anybody. Anyone from around the country can come join us in Carmel, California. If you're going to be attending the Quail Motorcycle Gathering, one hour after the show ends, we're starting our dinner. Fantastic. Do the ride. What a, what a great experience. And this is, again, from Los Angeles to Carmel? Yeah, we start in Ventura due to the recent storms in California. <laughs> you know, the ride route is constantly, you know, changing. But yeah, well, first day you end in Pismo Beach, second day you end in Monterey. And then, you know, the third day we're at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering. But we really want to start bringing focus to this, you know, new partnership. So uh, motivational.org, they're really the, the foundation behind why we ride. You got the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation and Ride for Kids, and even the Quail Lodge and Golf Club and their parent Peninsula Signature events. We're all three of us joining forces to really bring this fundraising dinner. So we have high expectations, high goals, high fundraising goals, but anyone can join. It's a casual event. There's no black tie needed because most of us are on motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, so we're excited about that. That does sound exciting. That sounds quite um, a flash do to go to in a, in a casual sort of a way and just ex experience uh, the, the event when you get there because it's a huge uh, gathering, the quail. It's very famous. And uh, I think anybody coming from any part of the country is going to love that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's never a bad thing when you can, you know, relish in the history of motorcycling and see these motorcycles really brought back to life. I mean, it's awesome to see stuff you know, that started it all. And they have big names there. I mean, you meet people who are famous in the motorcycle world. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, Wayne Rainey's always been known to show up this year. I don't want to let any, I guess I've got them on flyers and some communications, but. <laughs> I know they don't like to announce everything straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Bubba, Bubba Schobert is going to join us for the evening event. Wow. And hopefully some additional guests that I'm you know, trying to lock in. So so it could turn out to be something really fun and exciting. Yeah, that sounds 
Marvelous. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. So that's at the beginning of May. And then at the end of May, I've got AmeriCaid. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. I'm sure everyone knows what AmeriCaid is, but it's it's a long running motorcycle rally that started as Aspencade. You know, it was, it was a big Honda event and that was taken over and made into AmeriCade. It takes place in Lake George, New York, and it's a week long rally event. Hundreds of thousands, you know, 100,000 motorcyclists come through the area. And one of those traditional ride events that we have annually, we started incorporating into AmeriCade. So it was always like for the past five years, a ride that was kind of centered around the AmeriCade event. But this year is the first year that we're, again, I like using that word elevating it. So we're elevating our presence within the AmeriCade rally and event. So we're kind of the featured charity. So we're given a nice size space to share with the attendees to this event, you know, Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation, Ride for Kids. Um, we're going to have fundraising activities in our space. Uh, we're going to have a special VIP Honda demo ride experience that we'll be auctioning off. It's only going to be eight spots available. And Honda is going to provide a personalized demo ride on their motorcycles, which will also include a dinner. So we're really trying to come up with these cool ideas to, to really engage with that motorcycling community. Well, it sounds as though you've got a lot going on there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Sleep doesn't happen much. <laughs> <laughs> no, no sleep allowed. Does uh, Mericade uh, involve a ride to the event as well at all? Or do people sort of turn up like they do at Sturgis and just make their own hay? <laughs> yeah, so what, what, we're, what they're also offering us is not only just this space to really draw attention and, and raise funds at the event. The Saturday, June 3rd, is the... Um, what they're calling it, the scenic ride for kids ride. So it's the only ride on that Saturday. It's all benefiting ride for kids. So, you know, that registration fee and any fundraising that riders take part in is all part of, you know, that's where that traditional ride component comes in. It's a nice two hour ride around Lake George, real scenic, it's beautiful. There may be a couple stops along the way we're working with a Harley Davidson dealership. They're pretty active. So there's not much they can do as far as providing any type of resource for us, but they do offer our ride participants some additional discounts in store, whatever it is, because we'll stop over, we'll patronize that dealership. So yeah, we it's it's all about engaging the riding community. And that's great. You've got that at one end of the country. You've got the quail at this end, and then you've got all of these events in between. Actually, on that note, I, I you must we had um, a guest who uh, chatted to us last week called uh, Ashley Lusky, and she has a company called Kick Stands Up. So you should that it's a platform for all motorcycle events, and you can register all of your events on there. And here's a shout out to anybody who missed that podcast. You can go <laughs> on to Kick Stands Up and find any events near you particularly Ride for Kids events <laughs> once they're on there. It's a great way of, you know, putting things out there. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, we did meet the people behind Kickstands Up. Oh, did you? Yes, we already have our events on the on the site. We're excited to have them support our mission. Well, I'm pleased that you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be working, you know, different avenues to see how we can further promote our events on their platform. Really great group of 
you know, people, they're doing this for, for good reasons, good causes. And we're excited to kind of be a part of that. Yes. Very enthusiastic, young and enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, very enthusiastic. You know, we were part of the AIM Expo, which is the largest, you know, motorcycle industry expo in the country. And that's where we met them. <laughs> so it worked. Yes. And, you know, Kickstands Up is something that's been missing. Anybody can go in there and find rides anywhere, or you can put your own ride on there. It's just uh, it's just going to connect everybody across the whole country. Yeah. And, you know, what we're hoping, too, is that others that are taking part in the platform, hopefully they see what we're doing and say, hey, you know, I'm going to raise my hand. I want to be a part of that. How can I ride for kids? Well, once they've listened to this podcast, they can go on there and find the <laughs> event. If they decide not to do their own ride, <laughs> yeah. they can just go on and find a ride or support somebody who's who's we're all riding support somebody's riding yeah. and raising funds yeah we have speaking of ride your way we had a gentleman last year who supported us in our nc triangle ride event reach out and he's got a very personal connection to cancer and he reached out and said hey i want to ride across country and i wanted all my funds to go to pediatric brain tumor foundation awesome that's a big ride <laughs> big ride it was 18 days seven thousand miles but just his little groundswell caught the attention of his local dealership. BMW stepped up, provided him a motorcycle for the ride. We supported him with, you know, all the background fundraising and, you know, reaching out. But it was such a short time period. He's, you know, he contacted us and he was on the road within 30 days. But this year he's committed to doing it again. And, and he's doing this on his own. He's using his you know, personal time off from work to do this. And, you know, it's, it's those, it's that, that's how you can help. You know, last year he raised $10,000. It's a funny old thing because in a way, um, when you're doing something like that, which is also for yourself, because obviously you get the uh, the sense of achievement and the adventure of the, the ride and you're helping many other people. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's what we're letting riders know is you don't have to put a great effort. You don't have to ride across country. But if you and your friends decide you're going to, you know, what's that bucket list ride? What's that destination, you know, that you wanted to go to? It could be, you know, 10 miles down the road. It could be a thousand miles down the road. Mm. And just by registering it will help. Yeah, exactly. And then just by you sharing, you know, your link. And we always recommend make that first donation yourself, aside from registration, but make that small donation and just challenge your friends and family to, to match you. And it's amazing. Yeah, imagine if everybody threw a dollar in, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I never say it's easy because, you know, it's never easy, but we try to make it accessible. We do our best to allow people to use their passion and put that towards a great cause. And that's all you can do. You just put it in front of people, yep. set the table and... uh yeah, and, and I think, you know, platforms like this podcast, just helping spread the word, just attracts and can garner so much attention for what the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation is, how they can support that through Ride for Kids, and growing our great sport. The more we ride, the more people see what we're doing, the more good we can do. It's just this wonderful 
circle of life. It's quite funny, not that I'm laughing at you, but laughing with you that you don't have a motorcycle. <laughs> That's the one thing that we have to fix. <laughs> yes, trust me, we'll be fixing it. So anytime I'm at... <laughs> or if you do come our way, you can borrow one of ours. We have, we, we're in an RV and we have, um, we have them in the garage. We have a garage in the back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's my next trailer. But yes, the, you know, I'm finding just wonderful people that have offered that, you know, Honda supporting, you know, me when I go to the, you know, a YCRS, you know, school, I get to ride their bikes because I'm, you know, obviously a graduate and, you know, work with them. So I, I try and use these opportunities as much as I can to continue riding as much as I can, but you're right though. The, the gaps in between are getting too long. <laughs> It does ebb and flow a bit like that. I had a long time where I didn't ride, but uh, now I ride lots. So it does ebb and flow a bit. It's in me. It'll never leave me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Once a biker, always a biker. Yeah. I had a, and he's still riding today, a great customer of mine and nothing stopped him. He was in his eighties. He started having some health issues, but man, he got on that bike almost every week and rode and still doing it. So that's going to be me. That's that's my plan for myself. <laughs> Sounds fabulous. That's a great plan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for talking to us and inspiring people to actually just uh, go to your website. We'll put a link in the in the show notes and just register their next ride. Yeah. That would be a great start. That would be an awesome start. Even if they're very shy, they can register it and then they can work towards yeah. <laughs> speaking to people about actually donating. But even the registration is going to make a big difference to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The more people we start getting involved, the better. Yeah, it's going to be a big animal. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Michael. Cheerio. Thanks, TJ. Loved it. <laughs>